0: Welcome to Telling Tales, the place to get your fiction fix. In each episode, we'll have a story for you. Maybe you'll find yourself in a far-flung corner of the world, or deep in the French countryside, or even on the banks of the River Tyne. We'll take you to places where the past and the present merge. Rocks talk, and a curry can kill you. Sometimes funny, sometimes dark always entertaining Welcome to Telling Tales Before the next episode of Telling Tales I just want to say thank you to all those who got in touch on social media about the Doherty episode It's been really encouraging It seems to have stirred a lot of memories about school days in the 60s This next episode, however is very different I hope you like it last train to Castra. Benoit stepped down from the train at Castra and held out his hand. Papi, let me help you. The old man stepped gingerly down. "Uh, Thank you, Benoit. I'm so pleased you came with me today. And he handed Benoit his small suitcase. No problem, Papi. But you're being really mysterious. What's going on? I told you, I'm here to meet some old friends that I haven't seen since the end of the war. We fought in the same brigade. Benoit looked puzzled. What brigade? Not now. Let us find Gaston. He said he'd meet us here. As they approached the ticket barrier, Benoit could see a man who looked even older than his grandfather walking towards them. Robert! Robert! he shouted. The two men stood in front of each other for a moment as if they were transfixed. Then they embraced. It was a huge hug with much slapping of backs and, I nearly didn't recognise you, and, oh, it's been too long. Benoit saw tears rolling down his pappy's face. Never once had he ever seen him cry or show much emotion at all. Even when Grandma passed away, We were sad, but he never saw a tear. Gaston kissed Robert on both cheeks. Comrade, he said, the emotion shaking in his voice. We have missed you. When he looked over his shoulder and saw the young man standing behind Robert. Who who is this then? Ah, Gaston, this is my grandson Benoit. He's been very kind enough to come along with me today. I'm afraid that at my age, I'm not very confident about travelling alone on a train. Gaston laughed. Oh, one of the heroes of Lord Trek afraid of a train? Never! Come, we have a short walk. The others are here already, but there are only a few of us left now. The two old comrades made their unsteady way out of the station. Is the Pontier Café still there? No, it closed years ago. We're going to the Café de Commerce. It's not far. Benoit tugged on his grandfather's sleeve. Papi, what's going on? You'll understand soon. I want to sit down and have a coffee and maybe even a brandy before I talk any more. The terrace of the Café de Commerce was busy. In one corner sat four men, As Gaston, Robert, and Benoit entered the café, they stood up, and again there were many hugs and greetings, but soon the comrades settled down and Benoit was introduced to the group. This is my favourite grandson, Benoit. Benoit gave his grandfather a quizzical look. I'm your only grandson, Papi. And there was much laughter, and the little joke seemed to break the sombre mood that had descended. There followed, much clinking of glasses, and more toast to fallen comrades. Robert turned and looked at his grandson. These men you see before me are my comrades, Benoit. We were boy scouts. These two, Sol and David, they were with the EIF. They've come from America to be with us. Gaston, you've already met him. He was the oldest of us at twenty-two and our commanding officer. The other two more scouts from Toulouse. Benoit, this is Henri and Michel. Towards the end of the Second World War, when the Nazis marched south, taking control of the free zone, they started to round up the fit young men to take to Germany as forced labour. Many of us took to the forest to escape, and we survived with help from the partisans. And that's where we met the EIF. They were young Jews who were helping smuggle Jewish children out of the town of Mworsak. And now the whole area was crawling with soldiers, and it was too dangerous to move anyone. We joined forces with the EIF, and the local partisans then trained us in sabotage survival and weapons use. I might have been fifteen when I joined, but a year later I'd blown up bridges, mine roads, and even killed a German soldier. I was no longer a boy, but a battle hardened soldier. Tell him about the train, begged Gaston. Ah, uh, okay. Uh, the night of August the 19th, 1944, our sentries reported that American parachutists had landed nearby and the partisans were bringing them to meet us. Gaston interjected. The Americans had brought mines and machine guns, and most importantly, news of a train heading north, full of weapons and ammunition. By this time, the British and the Americans had landed in Normandy and were pushing Rommel's panzer divisions back towards the border with Belgium. Saul took up the story. There was a narrow valley, not too far from her camp, "'where the train could easily be ambushed. "'We were all excited but very nervous. "'This was something much bigger than anything we'd ever done before, "'and altogether we numbered 200 fighters, plus the 20 Americans, "'as that night we made our way silently down to the railway line. "'The young waitress came over and smiled at Benoit. "'More coffee, gentlemen?' "'They all looked at Gaston.' "'No coffee. I think we need something to eat, "'or we'll all be asleep at the table in an hour. "'I can bring charcuterie and bread and some cheese.' "'Ah, perfect,' Gaston replied, "'as he looked around the table, "'at the nods of approval from his comrades. "'And a beer,' Sol added. "'The waitress nodded and returned to the bar. "'Where were we?' said Robert. "'Benoit jumped in. "'The train! How are you going to stop a train?' Ah, the mines the Americans brought would do the job. We put them under the tracks and soon the train arrived and the first couple of carriages at the engine were blown up. The noise was deafening. The train was heavily armed and had a lot of armour. And when the battle began between the heavy artillery on the train and our American machine guns and mortars, we threw everything we had at them. We disabled the front cannons with the mortars, finished off the rear gunners. Around midnight the fight had slowed down. We'd used up most of our ammunition, but our boys had killed many of the German soldiers. Sol said, I thought we'd have to withdraw, as we were down to our last barrage of mortars. Suddenly, a white flag appeared from the train. The German captain surrendered himself, plus fifty-six men and all the contents of the train, and we all cheered and hugged each other we'd done it. David jumped in. David jumped in. I came up to one of the captives and asked him, Do you know who I am? And the soldier answered, Yes, you are partisans. No, I said. I am stronger than that. Ich bin ein Jude. Well, he was wearing a green uniform, but his face was much greener than he heard that. I added I was not the only Jew— but he was surrounded by them. Gaston stood up from the table. We all cheered and shouted, Ich be nine, youd! And they all laughed, and once again the battle cry of Lord Trek ran out, be be you youd! And they clicked their beer glasses together and cheered. The other customers turned and looked at the group, and a young man came across and said, Are you the veterans who come for the parade tomorrow? Uh, yes, Gaston replied. Let me shake your hands and welcome you to Castra. And there was much shaking of hands and introduction, and each in turn welcomed the stranger. The young man continued. My grandmother used to talk about the day you liberated the city, and you all arrived at the town gate, and she told stories of the party that night. My name is Gaston. I was named after my father, who my grandmother said— was named in honour of the handsome young officer who commanded the troops who liberated the city, Gaston blushed and said, I am Gaston. I was the commander of the scouts. There was a moment of silence at the table as the comrades looked at each other, Then Sol said, "Uh, Not so young and handsome any more, Gaston, and there was a roar of laughter that could have been heard in Paris. Then came the question that seemed to be on everybody's lips When was your father born? asked Sol. There was the pause while the young man did some arithmetic in his head. Uh, 1950. Robert smiled and said, I probably danced with your grandmother in the square that night. Gaston said, I'm honoured that she chose to call her son after me. Please give her my regards. Sadly, she died a few years ago, said young Gaston, his head dropping slightly. Let me buy you all a drink. That is very kind, Gaston said, but there's no need. We've just ordered some food, and we must try and keep a clear head for tomorrow. Then I will see you all in the morning, said young Gaston. Benoit looked bemused. What's happening tomorrow, and what happened to the Germans? He's as impatient as I remember you were, Robert, Gaston said. Uh, The surrender, yes. I think at that moment they thought we were going to kill them, but we didn't. We took them down the line to the little town of Lautrec and imprisoned them in an old warehouse. Guards were posted, and we went to get some food and some much-needed sleep. Henri took up the story. Not far from... Lautrec was Castre where we are now. There was a German garrison here. Rather than wait for the Allied army and the Free French who were heading up from the south, we decided to attack the garrison. Benoit was puzzled. If the Americans and the Free French army would be there soon, why not wait? A dark shadow seemed to pass across Gaston's face. The wreck train would soon be discovered. Then the Nazis would be searching for their men. Reprisals would follow. We've already seen what they can do. Hostages would be executed. Villages bulldozed and much blood would be spilled. The news of the landings of the Allies in Normandy had reached us and we knew we had to act fast. Gaston picked up Sol's glass of beer and swallowed it all in one. He then wiped a tear from his cheek. Sorry, Saul, I needed that. Saul said, don't worry, I'll get us both another. Gaston continued. The artillery cannons from the train were reusable. We mounted them on our trucks, transforming them into makeshift tanks. We surrounded the town and wanted to soften up the Germans before we talked to them. We knew from our spies in the town where the sentries were posted. We crept up on them, took them by surprise, gagged them, and took them down to our defensive positions in the valley below the town. Then, for the rest of the night, we fired our cannons and directed the occasional mortar against the town walls. We didn't want to do too much damage, but we did want them to have a sleepless, nervous night. I loved the idea that we were attacking the Germans with their own munitions. In the morning, the officers found their sentry posts abandoned. Robert took his grandson's hand. Twenty-seven years ago tomorrow, just after dawn, we sent one of the sentries back with a message to the colonel of the German garrison in Castro, telling him he was surrounded by an army of battle-hardened troops, ready for a fierce and merciless fight. A little later we all watched as Gaston and one of the commanders of the resistance, dressed in the uniforms of officers, marched into the town under a flag of truce. I have no idea where they got the uniforms from, but when they met the German officers they knew they would have to look the part. They went unarmed and unescorted to the Grand Hotel, the headquarters of the commander, and demanded that the colonel surrender, and threatened him with an immediate attack. They exaggerated the support of the Americans, pretending there were far more than twenty parachutists, and they demanded the officers disarm their men and march them out of the city. If they did not, a bombardment would begin, and no one would be spared. The officers knew the war was nearly over and that there's no chance of getting back to Germany, and that the game was up. They thought their men were already deserting, and they had no stomach for a fight. Gaston turned to Saul and said, "'You're always the one who was good at numbers. How big was the garrison?' Saul paused for a moment and said, "'Nearly seventy officers and more than four thousand men surrendered. It was Monday, August the 21st, 1944.' The same date as tomorrow. Robert continued, I don't think the officers could believe their eyes when they saw us. Some two hundred men and boys formed a long column on either side of the road leading out to the town gate, and as the officers and soldiers marched out we shouted, Handy hock! and they all thrust their hands in the air. The town's people." "'looked on from the city walls, "'and we kept our machine guns trained on the Germans "'in case there was any funny business. "'Michel said, what a day that was. "'We took the soldiers to the rugby stadium "'and they erected their tents on the pitch. "'It was crowded, but I think they were relieved just to get out alive. "'And we had a party that night in the town square "'and in the Pontier Café. "'We danced, we sang, and we ate.' Those people left in the city didn't have much, but we opened the German cellars and food stores and we distributed what we found. What a feast we had, what wine we drank, and I've never kissed as many girls in my life as I did that night. The six comrades laughed. Robert told his grandson, Tonight we will be guests of honour at a dinner organised by the mayor of Castra as a thank you, for the part we played in saving the city. And tomorrow we will march to the Cenotaph to remember those who gave their lives to free France from fascism. I've spoken to the man, of course. You'll be sitting with us. Benoit was stunned and couldn't believe what he'd just heard. How come you never mentioned this before? The old man smiled. That was a good day. But there were many bad memories also. Things I did, things I saw, and things that happened to my comrades are memories a young man doesn't want or need. I just want to forget. But one thing I've learned in my eighty-six years on this earth is that you never forget. Benoit added to Dad and Mum know all about this. Robert winked at him. They know in general terms that I was a scout and that we assisted in the liberation of Castro, but men have asked for details and I never volunteered any. Benoit took his grandfather's hand. I'm so proud of you, pappy, and I have a thousand questions. Later, Benoit, later, his grandfather replied. Postscript While the meeting of the comrades in the cafe is entirely fictional, all the salient facts concerning the train and the surrender of the garrison at Kasper are a matter of historical fact. After the war, Moisak was named Righteous Amongst the Nations, a reference to how hundreds of locals helped EIF rescue about 500 Jewish children. An occurrence that Yad Hashem, Israel's National Holocaust Museum, has defined as an exceptional episode in the history of World War II. But that's a story for another day.